We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to A Taste of Romamu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romamu, please visit Romumu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Shabbat shalom. This Shabbat is really pivotal, not only because Rabbi David is on vacation, but because we're in between Christmas and New Year's and a new year in the Gregorian calendar, and in the Jewish calendar, we start a new book. And it's the book of freedom. It's the book of Exodus. In Hebrew, it's called Shmot. Um, just means names. I love the book of Exodus. I love the book Shmot, uh, the book of Shmot. I won't say it's my favorite book because I think every book of the Torah is my favorite. However, I love the big, dramatic, mythic tale of freedom. But I have one problem. I don't know how to translate it into my life. It's so big. It's made for the stuff of Hollywood movies, like the Ten Commandments or the, the, um, the Prince of Egypt, right? These big, wonderful movies. But really, what does it have to do with our daily lives? So I'm wondering, and I'm thinking, what does it have to do specifically with relationships? Relationships and I think everyone here will agree with me, but I'm a little tentative, can sometimes feel like Egypt. Can sometimes feel, my husband's there, but, but it never applies to him. Can sometimes feel like Mitzrayim, like the narrow, narrow place. And other times, relationships feel like the promised land. Big, expansive, free, full of promise. So again, my question is, what does freedom mean in our daily embedded relationships, in our real lives? And I start to explore this by telling you a bit of my own story. I grew up in the Syrian Jewish community in Brooklyn. Yes, but not the cool part of Brooklyn. Coolness has not gotten that far into Brooklyn. So it's where I grew up. It was the neighborhood of Midwood. And really, the Syrian Jewish community is a very traditional community and remains so. And many of my Ashkenazim, my non-Sephardic friends, I have a few, um, say to me, well, by now they might, they must have acculturated. I'm like, no. My friends got married at 18. Their daughters are getting married at 18. So I grew up in this community, and it felt a little bit like Mitzrayim. I was supposed to be the skinny, beautiful, perfect girl who didn't go to college and got married at 18. And instead, I made the long journey across the Brooklyn Bridge and went to NYU to study philosophy and religion. Now, that might not sound so radical, but a single woman leaving home at all for any reason in that community was radical, right? It was really threatening. 
I remember coming to visit home once when I was in college. And I remember my mother saying to me, well, what is it you want? Like, they really couldn't figure out who I was. And by the way, my poor parents, I'm an only child, and all their dreams were on my shoulders. And my mother said to me, well, what is it you want? And I said, and it just came out, and I said, I want to be free. And she said, free for what? And that boggled my mind, because all I could think of was free from you. I was trying, sorry, Pastor, desperately. <laughs> I'm glad that was funny. <laughs> to break the ties that bound. But all I felt was bondage. You can imagine rejecting all I grew up with. I felt rather empty, impoverished within. I would tell my friends when they asked, are you Jewish? I would say, well, I was born Jewish, but not really. And this is after 12 years of education, of education in the yeshiva, and six years of summer camp, in Jewish summer camps, Hebrew speaking. My parents were heartbroken that I wasn't who they wanted me to be. Each of us lived in radically different worlds. An abyss grew between us. We lost the ability to communicate with one another. We never lost contact, but we lost emotional touch. The Exodus story is also a tale of communication lost. Think about it. The slaves were enslaved for how many years? Some say over 400, and some say any, over 200. But in any case, it was a long time. And God did not speak to them. And they, as far as the story goes, did not speak to God. Finally, in our Parsha, in this week's portion, it's written that their cries, their groaning, rose up to God. And God finally saw them. It's actually a very beautiful little few you know, verses. Um, I think it's in chapter 2. It says, God heard them, remembered the covenant, saw them, and knew them. Right, so this is the beginning of, of contact. God hears and sees and knows the suffering of the enslaved other. And that is the beginning of freedom. Whenever I read that passage, I think about this television series that I absolutely love called Parenthood. And in it, there are, there's like a big, like, chamula, like a big family. And at the head of the family are the grandparents. Um, their names are Zeke and Camille. And at one point in the story, and I've, I've watched this maybe this whole series, I think it's three seasons, maybe three times. Um, and at one point, Zeke and Camille are having conflicts, and they go to couples counseling. And when Zeke comes out of couples counseling, no matter what Camille says, Zeke says, I hear you and I see you. So there really is something 
both on the personal level and on the collective level, to knowing and hearing and understanding the suffering of the other. Jewish mystics actually see the entire story of the Exodus and in particular the slavery as a condition where speech itself is in exile. Dibur begalut. And you can understand why. Given the lack of communication between God and the Israelites. But if you look at the story and the state of communication, it's even more intense than that. We have a reluctant leader who stutters and says he cannot speak and cannot find his voice. We have a pharaoh who cannot listen because of a hard heart. And we have a people who cannot listen to the voice of freedom, Moses' message, because their avodah uh, kasha, the kotzeruach, their spirits and their breaths are are narrow and their and their labor is is intense is hard so no one in this story is making contact until that is the people go through the reed sea and what happens they really find language there they find song they raise their voices in song to god um, in gratitude for being liberated but according to the, the Kabbalists, Dibor, right, is really God's voice. And God doesn't find God's voice until Sinai. And what's really interesting is God finds God's voice in the Ten Commandments. And your first association may be, oh, all like law and legal. But the first thing God says, the first statement is actually, doesn't sound like a command at all. It's an I statement. I and the Lord your God. God finally reveals God's self. Ani Hashem Elohechem. Asher Hotzeitichem Me'eretz Mitraim. That took you out of Egypt. So it's an I statement and a, relationship, a relational statement. Very simple and yet revolutionary. Consider this I statement. Very simple but revolutionary. I can find it. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they, where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Martin Luther King. Very simple I statement whose implications are absolutely revolu revolutionary. I had a wonderful teacher at the Jewish Theological Seminary who writes about God taking a risk in communicating with the Israelites. And I read you what he writes in The Personhood of God. Any meeting of personalities requires great bravery. One who attempts to communicate with another endangers his own life or her own life or their own life. For to do this, they must reveal what is in their heart. Such an act is potentially dangerous because one does not know ahead of time if he will find a receptive ear. Do you see me? 
Do you hear me? There's always the possibility that the, that the ear of the listener will be impervious. Any real communication then is a dangerous leap. But if one never screws up the courage to jump, he will wither away in silent isolation. There are two choices, to love or die. The Holy One, blessed be he, took a great chance when at Sinai, God spoke with Israel for the first time. This act of communication was also an act of love. But, But God did not know ahead of time if God's intended bride, Israel, would be responsive to God's voice. To go back to my parents for a moment, I could not risk with them telling my story because my parents wished so desperately that I was otherwise. And I could not hear their story because I could not bear the disappointment and heartbreak I was causing them. We couldn't really hear each other, and that's why we lost contact. But the divine voice debore God's opening command is a model, I think, for each of us. Anyone can start a revolution, even if it's a small one, between two people or in a family, by making a simple statement from the heart about what's true. A simple I statement takes, to put it as Muffs does, leaps of bravery. The 20th century feminist poet Muriel Ruckheiser once said, What would happen if one woman told the truth about her life? The world would split open. But it's not only women, it's all of us. And I will start here by making an I statement. I am the mother of three children. Two of them have disabilities. One was recently seriously ill. I struggle in the world to safeguard their dignity. Now that is not only a personal statement, that has implications for the public square, for policies in this country, for the way each of us sees vulnerability. What's your I statement? Think for a moment. It doesn't have to be fancy, just simple, true, honest. Freedom entails being like Moshe, starting and stuttering and finding voice. Think about the holiday that that celebrates our freedom. It's Pesach. And think about that book that we all look at during the Seder, or some of us at least, while we're waiting for the food. It's not a simple, smooth storytelling Right? It's not, it's not a, um, a formulaic story. It's not canned. What it is, it's a mess of pieces of texts and songs and rituals around eating and rituals around washing. A disjointed story emerges. Shards of ancient truths and hopes for the future. Something that resembles freedom is communicated. 
fragmented, fledgling, like Moses stuttering. When we begin to find voice, our stories don't come out so smooth. We need to make room for that in one another. The Kabbalists say that Pesach is the holiday of the open mouth. Pesach. Our mouths open to tell, eat, sing. The O, creating the expansive shape of freedom. The Merchavya, the expanse of the divine. Tell one another who you are. Listen. Receive what's in the other's heart. It's a little bit scary, like standing at Sinai. It can be terrifying, even risky. Because others are oftentimes not as we wish they were. And we, in turn, are oftentimes not who, who they wish we were. Telling each other what's in our hearts can fly in the face of expectations, can sometimes shatter dreams, or maybe even start a revolution. And it's the only way to be free, the only way to make contact, the only way to communicate. Simple truths coming straight from a softened and quivering heart. Can we bear it? Can you listen to my heart? Can I listen to yours? That for today, my friends, is what I'm calling freedom.